KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzet Torah. You are listening to the Erev Shabbat program, Erev Shabbat Parshat Noach, Aleph Dorosh Chodesh Cheshvan, Lamed Tishrei, Tavshin Samechet. I am Jonathan Snowbell, and I am your host for the Erev Shabbat program. This is the first Erev Shabbat program after the Chagim, and I think I'd like to, in this first program, really reflect on the transition from the Chagim to back to everyday life. <clears throat> Every year as I sit or sleep in the sukkah on Hoshana Rabbah, the last day of Sukkot, there's this sadness that envelops me. When again will I have this opportunity that every mundane action that I do is a mitzvah? Every mundane action that I do, a bracha could be made on. I sit in the sukkah, I eat in the sukkah, I sleep in the sukkah. I just slept six hours in the sukkah overnight, and I, for six hours I was mekayim the mitzvah of yeshiva basukkah. And now this mitzvah is fleeting away from us. It's the last day of Sukkot, and th- this mitzvah is gone. On a, on a, in a less pronounced way, this feeling of Chagei Tishrei passing away from us. We've been saying Hamelech HaKadosh during Aser Yemei Tshuva, the most inspiring tefillot of the year that I feel are on uh, the Musaf of Rosh Hashanah, Hoshanot, saying Hallel with the Arba Minim in our hands. The next time we say Hallel, it's not going to be the same. We won't be shaking the Arba Minim. We're surrounded with mitzvot, we're surrounded with ketushah during Chagei Tishrei, and suddenly we're left alone, and we have to swim on our own. I think the, uh, the mizmor that, of Tehillim that really captures this feeling is the, is the mizmor that we say throughout this time period, the David Hashem Orivi Ishi. It's well known that the mizmor has, has two sections. There's the, the first half, which we talk about, Achat Sha'alti Me'et Hashem we ask of God one thing that we should be able to sit in the house of Hashem all the days of our lives. He'll hide us in his sukkah. We mentioned even the sukkah. On a bad day, he'll hide me in his tent. And, and we finish off this half of the Mizmor, Ashir of Azamala Hashem. But the Mizmor does not end here. The Mizmor goes on and says, Shema Hashem koli akra v'choneni v'aneni, ki avivi mi azavuni v'ashem e'asfeni. We're crying out to God suddenly. After we said, Ashira v'azamra Hashem, I will sing and, and, and rejoice to Hashem, which implies some sort of closure. The, the Baal HaMizmor has reached a good place. He's singing out to God. Ashira l'ashem ki gamalalai, which ends a Mizmor. But suddenly the, the Baal HaMizmor is not, is not finished he calls out to God again, Shema Hashem koli akra ki avivi mi azavuni. Alti cheni v'altazveni, we cry out to God, don't abandon us. What's going on to the Baal HaMizmor? When we're in the period of Chagei Tishrei, maybe even leading up to it in Chodesh Elul, as we anticipate that period, we've started saying Slichot, we've started saying L'David Hashem Orivi Ishi, and certainly in the in the height of these, this time period, Rosh Hashanah, Aser Yimei Tshuva Sukkot, we, we really say that line, There's one thing I ask of God, that He should let me sit in the house of God all the days of my life. We say that with such great kavana, with great intent, because we feel so secure in our relationship with God during Chagei Tishrei. Whether we're crying in our tefillot on Yom Kippur, but we know that we're relating to God, because if we weren't relating to God, we wouldn't be crying. And if we're rejoicing in our sukkah, or in our simchat beit ha during sukkot, (coughs) 
if we're rejoicing and saying halal with the Arba Minim, there's no feeling that can surpass the feeling that we experience during Chagay Tishrei, when we're in shul all the time, when we're in our sukkah all the time, which the sukkah also has a relationship to the Beit HaMikdash, which would be Beit Hashem, and the Beit HaKneset, the shul is Beit Hashem. And the, and the only thing we can think of saying is, Don't let this period go away. Let us always be in the shul. Let us always be in the sukkah where every action we do is a mitzvah. Baruch Hashem Elokeinu Melech Olam Asher Kiddushanu B'mitzvotah V'tzivanu Leishev B'sukkah And we eat our meal. And we sleep in the sukkah. And we don't want that period to go away. And then it's Hoshana Rabbah. Sukkot is slipping away. And Simchat Torah. One last dance with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That par of Shemini Atzeret where God says one last, one last Chagigah. Well, let's one last day together. And then it's over. And then we have a few more days of Chesed, of Tishrei, where we don't say Tachanun. And then at the beginning of next week, Sunday morning, it'll be Bet Cheshvan. It won't be Rosh Chodesh. It'll be Cheshvan, the month of the year that has no Chagim, no special events. And we're going to go into our daily routine without the Chagim surrounding us, with a little bit of Shul, but not a lot, and no Sukkah, and no Arba Minim, and no Hallel, and no Shofar, and that feeling of being alone. I think, for me, as I was thinking of this idea this year, the second half of these Mizmor became much more significant. I want to sit in the house of Hashem all the days of my life is a theoretical dream, but it's not a real dream. We can't sit in the house of Hashem and David HaMelech, who wrote the Mizmor, he wasn't in Beit Hashem he wasn't in the house of Hashem all the days of his life, nor did he elude himself to that possibility. He was the king of Israel. He was fighting wars. He was the posek of Israel. He was, he was looking at the shilas to see what to do, how to be, give Parnassah to Am Yisrael. He was dealing with everyday life. I think what's happening in the Mizmor is that at the point where Ashira Vazamrala Hashem in the middle of the Mizmor, we're rejoicing and singing to God, that's in the height of the Chagei Tishrei. We're surrounded by God, we're surrounded by Kedusha, and we're happy. But Shema Hashem Koli Akra is telling us what to do afterwards. Okay, we're not sitting Bevet Hashem Koyamei We don't sit in the house of Hashem all the days of our lives. What do we do? Shema Hashem Koli Akra. We have to call out to God. God is not close to us. We don't perceive Him as close to us as before. If we say about the Chagei Tishrei HaMelech Basadeh, the King is here, in the fields, he's close by. And now Hashem's not close by anymore. We have to call out to God. And there's the feeling of abandonment. And we're calling out, Don't abandon me. Don't leave me. This feeling of loneliness. Where was? Where is everything? Where are all those feelings that we were feeling throughout the Chagei Tishrei? Where, what happened to all of that? Shema Hashem Koli Akra. That feeling that we have to call out to God because we're not in Beit Hashem anymore. Chag Sukkot. Chag Sukkot is the last Chag that we have along with Shemini Atzeret before the long winter. And this year it's a very long winter because we have a leap year. And the next time we have Regalim, the next time we have potential for Aliyah Regal is Pesach, which is going to be after seven months because we have Adar Bet this year. We have Chanukah and Purim along the way. Not the same type of Chagim, but we give thanks to, 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 to the Chachamim who who gave some light in the middle of the winter for us to 
have something to hold on to until Chag Pesach, Chag Matzot comes along. But Chag Sukkot has to be able to charge us for the long, dark months of the winter ahead, where there's no more Chagim, there's no more, there's very little light, there's a lot of rain, there's a lot of cold, and we have to infuse our lives with Hashem, with Kedusha, during those months. And Chag Sukkot, what does Chag Sukkot tell us? Chag Sukkot tells us that eating in the Sukkah is a mitzvah. And that sleeping in the sukkah is a mitzvah. And that walking around in the sukkah is a mitzvah. And that learning in the sukkah is a mitzvah. And that sitting in the sukkah, and pardon the expression, and twiddling our thumbs is a mitzvah as well. Right after Chag Sukkot, we have Shmini Atzeret. There's not a single mitzvah in Shmini Atzeret. The contrast between Chag Sukkot and Shmini Atzeret is so striking. We don't say, Asher except for to say Halel and Shmini Atzeret. There's no more mitzvot. What happened to the what happened to the lulav? What happened to the several times a day of saying Lesheva Sukkah? It's gone. And I think that the message of Chag Sukkot for the whole year is that it's not take take the opportunity of these seven days because it's only now during these seven days that our mundane actions can be significant actions within the sukkah. But the sukkah is telling us take your mundane actions that during Sukkot you're making a bracha over them and change them into significant actions throughout the year. Make your sleeping a significant action to give you strength to learn the next day, to daven the next day, to work and shul, to work for your family the next day, to take care of your children the next day. Eat so you have strength to relate to people properly, to learn properly, to daven properly, to be nice to your children because you're not grumpy, to be nice to your wife or your husband because you've eaten enough. Take a walk because you had a hard day and you need to just relax so you can be a normal human being. Don't eat to be a glutton. Don't sleep 12 hours because you could. Make all the mundane actions of your life significant. When you make all the, the mundane actions of your life significant, then you can be close to God the whole year. You can't sit Hashem You can't be in the shul the whole year. You can't be in the sukkah the whole year. But you can take the message of the sukkah into the whole year. And you can change your life and take your mundane actions from life and make them significant actions. Kavel Hashem, chazak Hashem. And that's Shmini Atzeret. Shmini Atzeret says, okay, you've practiced for seven days now with everything that's mundane becoming a mitzvah. Now do it with no mitzvot. Make everything mundane into a mitzvah. And the next seven months from Shmini Atzeret until Chag HaMatzot, internalize the message of Chag Sukkot. You don't have to walk away from being surrounded by God, you have to take God into your life now, with you. Shema Hashem Koli Ekra. Call out to God now. Bring God with you. God came to us in Chagim Chagei Tishrei. Hamelech Basadeh, the king is in the field. He was close to us, whether in the shul or in the Beit HaMikdash. And now we go back to our homes and our regular lives. And now we have to put Hashem into our lives. Shema Hashem Koli Ekra. We have to call out to God. And we have to take Chag HaSukot, where every mundane action is a mitzvah, and transform our lives, and take every mundane action and make it significant. Make it part of our Avodat Hashem. And in the sukkah, it's every mundane action. Whether it's going out for a cup of coffee because you need to spend time with your wife, you need to take your kid out. Every mundane action can be part of our Avodat Hashem. And in this, and in this way, we are not alone. We are taking Hashem with us. Hashem ki avivi miyazavuni v'Hashem ya'asfeini. If we relate just briefly to Parshat HaShavua, 
you have a similar notion of being in a protected place. If we had an army's more, Shifti Bevet Hashem, sitting in the house Hashem, Besuko, God hiding us in the sukkah, God hiding us in his Oholo. And now there's no more sukkah, there's no more Ohel, there's no more Beit Hashem. And we have to deal with the world without those protections. And we have to change the world. We don't have these external protective measures of super hyper mitzvot that we had during Chagay Tishrei. Now we have to infuse our lives with Hashem. And Noach goes through a similar experience. Because if in the Teva, Vayiskor Hashem Ba'ado, God closed the Aaron for him to protect him. While he was in the Teva, Noach was constantly taking care, doing tzivui Hashem, of taking care of the animals and taking care of the fam- his family. And now he leaves the Teva and he has to do something significant in the world. This is our challenge. As we stand on Rosh Chodesh Cheshvan and we look towards the winter and we try to see till the end of Tel Chagamatzot, but it's far away, we are leaving the Teva, we are leaving the Sukkah, we are leaving the Ohel, we are leaving Beit Hashem. And we are going out into our day-to-day existence. And we need to take Chag Sukkot with us and bring it into our existence. The tefillah that I said in my sukkah as I left the sukkah, Just like we've sat in the sukkah for these seven days of Chag Sukkot, we should be zocheh, we should be privileged to sit in the sukkah the whole year. How so? that we should take our mundane actions that were mitzvot in the sukkah, and we should transform our mundane actions during the year into significant actions as well. At this point in the Arab Shabbat program, we'll, we'll be privileged to have Rav Tavori speaking about uh, different G'dolei Israel whose sites are approaching. So this week, Rav Tavori will be speaking to us about Rav Israel Rujin, whose site will be coming up this week. This week, on Tuesday, Gimel Cheshvan is the yard site of one of the most enigmatic figures in the Hasidic world, Rabbi Yisrael of Ruzhin. He was born in 1797 and was the grandson or the great-grandson of the Maggid of Mezrich. From early childhood, he was loved and respected by the other Hasidic rabbis, perhaps it was because of his yichus, perhaps because they knew him as what we call a banshak, benam shel kedoshim, coming from a great yichus, they treated him with tremendous love and respect. There's a story told about the holy rabbi of Apter, the Oev Yisrael, who was an older gentleman when Rabbi Yisrael of Ruzhin was a little boy. One time, when his gartel, the belt that he used to wear during davening, as is the custom among Hasidim, when the, the gartel became loose, so they say that the Rebbe himself, the holy apter, went to tie the gartel on the, the little boy who was later... Be, to become the Rebbe of Rizhin. When they asked the Apter why he did that, why the Rebbe himself did it, he said, it's a mitzvah like Glila of a Sefer Torah. He looked at the body of the 
Rishoner, and he looked at it as the Sefer Torah, where he covered it with a belt. That reminds me of the story of the Rebbe Avram Shapiro, Zecher Tzadik Levracha, who recently passed away. Rabbi Lam told the story, that when Rabbi Avram Shapiro, at that time, Chief Rabbi of Israel, came to visit America, he met the Rav, Rav Salavechik, Zecher Tzadik Levracha, and when he met him, Rabbi Avram Shapiro kissed the Rav. And he looked at Rabbi Lam, Rabbi Shapiro, looked at Rabbi Lam and said, it's a mitzvah to kiss a Sefer Torah. The reason that the Apter enjoyed such respect as a child does not seem to be based on his intellectual prowess. We have no indication that he was a major Tamid Chacham. In fact, he led, led his life rather quickly he passed away when he was only 53, in the year 1850. He was married at the age of 13 and became Hasidic Rebbe a few years later. We have no record of any svarim of his of Lumdis. We have some of his aphorisms and statements printed in various books. But his fame was not because of his Lumdis of his erudition. His life was rather turbulent. He was involved in a murder libel, which seems very problematic. Two Jews were found murdered. They were probably informers in the Jewish community, and it was rumored that the leaders of the Jewish community arranged for their death. Rabbi Israel actually spent two years in jail while this issue was being cleared up, investigated. And then even afterwards, he had to leave his hometown. Although he had been a Hasidic Rebbe in Ruzhin, he moved and he eventually he became a Hasidic Rebbe in other communities as well. He had many children and many of them became famous in their own rights as Hasidic leaders. He is the ancestor of the some of the greatest Hasidic Rebbe's and some of the greatest dynasties since then. His grandchildren, great-grandchildren, include the Reb, the, the Chatzar, the courts of Vizhnitz, of Sadigor, of Boyan, all of whom can trace their ancestry back to Rabbi Yisrael of Ruzhin, eventually back to the Magad of Mezrich. He himself, the Apta used to say, the original uh, used to say, that not only can he trace his ancestry back to his great-grandfather, the Magid, but he felt he was a descendant of David HaMelech. This may be the reason that he was famous for one way of leading his Hasidus. If you, we would use one word to describe the Chatzir, the, the, chatzir, the court of the Yisrael vision, the word would be Malchus. Royalty. He lived in a regal style. Everything he had was beautiful, fancy, rich, and expensive. Even his shoes seemed to have been gold-plated. 
the Hasidim used to say that in truth, Rabbi Yisrael of Rishon was a humble man who lived simply, but he used to try to embellish the outer manifestation of his character with riches. They even used to say that his shoes were really made out of some fancy thing, perhaps gold, it's hard to believe, actual gold, maybe gold-plated, but they say that his soles were almost bare, that people could not see the soles of his shoes, and therefore he really lived a, a modest life, but it was only externally rich. There seems to be some sort of discomfort with the concept of a Hasidish Rebbe living, leading such a, a, a rich, regal life. Many stories talk about the different approaches of Hasidus to this type of character. One of the interesting stories is told about a meeting that Rabbi Yisrael Meruzhin had with Rabbi Naftali of Rapshitz. Rabbi Naftali of Rapshitz was famous for many things, but among them, he lived a very modest life. The opposite of Rabbi Yisrael Rishin, who exuded rich, a rich life, who exuded Malchus. One time they met at an intersection, and Rabbi Yisrael Rishin was riding in his chariot, which allegedly was gold, beautiful, beautifully upholstered, a beautiful carriage, and this carriage was pulled by four steeds, magnificent horses. Rabbi Yisrael Rizhin is riding along, and he meets Rabbi Naftali Rabshitzer, who was basically riding on an old, broken-down nag, an old horse who barely could carry Rabbi Naftali of Rabshitz. There was no carriage, there was no gold, there was no steeds, and apparently... Rabbi Yisrael felt that somehow he had to apologize for leading such a life. He turned to Rabbi Naftali and he said to him, you see, my carriage is so big, is so heavy, that I need these four horses. You only need one horse, but I need these four horses to pull me out of the mud. When the, the mud, the roads of Europe were very, very primitive, and when the carriage sinks into the mud, I need all this koachsus, I need the horsepower to take me out of the mud. Rabbi Neftali Rabshitzer looked at him and said, if that be the case, I guess, Rabbi Neftali, my, my horse, we should be careful that it never falls in the mud in the first place. Avoiding the danger is more important than getting out of the danger. This story, which seems to imply that the approach of Rabbi Naftali Rabshitzer is somehow more within the keeping of Hasidus, don't get into trouble in the first place, seems to show a little bit of discomfort with the life of Rabbi Naftali of Rabshitz, of with the life of Rabbi Yisrael of Rizhin. In fact, Eli Weizel wrote a book Souls on Fire, which is a collection of portraits and legends of Hasidic masters. Generally, his approach is one of finding the best 
finding the special qualities of Itz Hasidish Rebbe. About Rab Naftali Rabshitz, he says that Yisrael of, of, of Rabbi Yisrael of Vision, he said, for me, Rabbi Yisrael of Vision remains a mystery. He resists analysis. As much as I like the character, something about him troubles me. What is the real explanation of his choosing such a life? A life of ostentatious consumption. Many theories have been propagated to explain it. Some say that it was a trick that he thought would help fool the Satan. The Satan, the Satan, always looked at the Jews in their poverty and somehow when he would see Jews in their richness, he would not know how to deal with it. He would not know how to tempt them. They have everything. Others say that it was a source of preparation for Mashiach. He wanted to show the Jews that in the future, there will be a better future for the Jewish people. The poverty, the lack of basic necessities that existed in Europe, especially among the Hasidic world at that time, led to a feeling of despair, and he wanted to prepare them for the coming of Mashiach. This, of course, was always a great concept in Hasidus. It's one of the major factors in the whole Lubavitcher movement that the Rebbe tried to make people aware, anticipate the coming of Mashiach. One of the questions that is asked before the final judgment is given to a person is Tzipisa Yeshua. The Gemara in Shabbos Taflamid Aleph says that you ask, every person is asked Tzipisa Yeshua, have you awaited the salvation? The explanation of the word Tzipita is different than the word Chikita. Chikita might be a passive, did you wait for Mashiach? Did you wait for the salvation? Tzipita implies a more active role. A tzofeh is a scout. A scout is a person who goes out to look to see what is happening in the future. The awareness of Mashiach coming and perhaps trying to show that Mashiach is imminent is a feature of Hasidus and this might be one of the reasons for the derech, for the approach of Rabbi Yisrael of Vision. I personally like the last explanation that I will give now. Jews were living in a state of despair, in a state of poverty. Rabbi Yisrael Rizhin wanted to show that we really are temporarily in such a situation. But do not think that is really what Judaism is supposed to be. We are Mamlechet Kohanim, a kingdom of priests. Now, priests, I can understand, were there to give the world, to serve the world, to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu as Kohanim. But we're called the Mamlechet Kohanim. We're called the kingdom of Kohanim. Bnei Yisrael deserve the best. Now, not everybody at that time could certainly live the best, but we could show an example of what Malchus should be. 
what a Jew should aspire to. They say in the name of the Baal Shem Tov that the Grester Aveira and the Velt is so vergessen as Mulchain in Bnei Melachim. The greatest sin in the world is to forget our ancestry, to forget that we're, we have royal lineage. This is not merely an Agadic concept, it's a Halachic concept. The Mishnah in Bav says that if a person contracts to feed, to give lunch to a person, the, the determination of what a lunch should be is decided by what should be and not what is. Perhaps lunch could be a cup of coffee and a sandwich. But if you've contracted with another Jew to give him lunch, Suda Shlomo Bishato is required. The Suda, the meal, a royal meal, a regal meal should be prepared for him because we are B'nai Malachim. It seems to me that's the message that the Rishoner, we call him the Holy Rishoner, Rabbi Yisrael of Rishon. That is the message that he was trying to inculcate into the Jewish people. We are B'nai Malachim and we deserve to live in that style. Thank you, Rav Tavori. And uh, with that, we'll be wrapping up the Erev Shabbat program, Erev Shabbat Kodesh Parashat Noach. And we pray and hope that we can go into every day and every Shabbat with significance, with Yirat Hashem, with Avat Hashem, with Simcha. Shabbat Shalom.
Oh, me. 